So, Cleon. Yo. I've got a question for you. Yeah, shoot. Okay, so if you could invite three dead celebrities or three dead famous people to dinner, um, who oh. would you invite? What would happen over the course of the meal? Like, what would you discuss? And where would you take them to eat? Oh, <laughs> oh man. See, this is such a hard question because I'm like, do I invite people who I know would be interesting to hang out with? Do I invite people who I respect and worship? All right. You know what? First of all, uh, yeah. I would go definitely Leonardo da Vinci. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, but we're assuming you can understand the language that they yeah, speak. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. There's a translation filter. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, haven't yeah, wasted sure. one of your revivals on an Italian person. <laughs> I'll just be like, prego the whole time. <laughs> show them a, show, show a better picture of a working helicopter and rub it in the <laughs> All right. So it will be yeah, Leonardo da Vinci, very much in the same vein, Howard Hughes. Really? How, why Howard Hughes? Just I don't want access I'm... to that Playboy mansion, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, no, no, Howard Hughes isn't, I think we're, Howard Wait, Hughes hang on. You're talking about the guy with the spruce goose? Yeah. Not the one running the Playboy Mansion? No, 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 no. Right. All right. Start the podcast again. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, welcome to the Ben is an Idiot podcast. All right. So Howard Hughes, why? Yeah. Just because he's an eccentric recluse? You yeah, want to see him eat a proper meal? Yeah, yeah, because I'm I'm guessing Leonardo da Vinci would be a really interesting conversationalist. Yes. But, like, you want that bit of nitroglycerin in your boys' night out, or women' yeah. night out, whatever, you yeah. know? Um, and then third... So, so far, well, you've picked two people that both made wooden aircraft. Yes, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> am after a theme here. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, third, Jesus. Oh, okay. Yeah, I went there. Controversial, yeah. but so you know three what? carpenters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Like, yeah. you know, it would be like a real mind-blowing sort of event. And also like, you know, you've got someone who could be a bit of a party boy. You've got the inventor and you've got like the man, you know, yeah. the man yeah. of all men. So the BG. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're BG. Um, I would take them to, uh, probably a place that I, well, a place that I got takeaway from yesterday, a place called Kale Lisi. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be a bit controversial because it is a Muslim restaurant. So okay. I don't know how Jesus would <laughs> feel about that. It's fine. They'll just, they'll give him the profit menu. They won't give him the daily menu. <laughs> uh, it's, it's one of my favorite cuisines. It's like really built, built to share. It's called Uyghur food. So it's food from the uh, peop- the Turkish settlers who sort of lived in China and um, it's wow. sort of the Muslim population of China. So it's kind of like all of these Chinese dishes, like, you know, hand-pulled noodles, dumplings yeah. and stuff, but with like Turkish spice and a sort of heavy lean on um, lamb and yogurt and cumin okay. and stuff. So that's, do they that's serve cool. it on a, do they serve the Uyghur on a Uyghur board? <laughs> Your feast tonight will be delicious. Am um, I satisfied? <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what? Well, that's mine. What's yours, okay, my dear? Okay, all right. So I'd go. In- interesting, you pick Jesus. I'd go C.S. Lewis, uh, yeah. creator of the Narnia series. Uh, he's a really interesting, dude. I really like a lot of his writing. I uh, just love to chat through that with him. I'd have Johnny Cash. Um, now I'm a big fan of Johnny Cash's music. He just seems really? like a simple. Yeah, yeah. Um, hurt. Um, it's relatable. I often hurt myself. 
Um, That's one thing I know about Ben. He's always hurting himself. I like, like always Cash- stubbing his toe <laughs> on true. every nook and cranny around the place. You know, it's very true. Yeah, I mean, it's every not, time it's not pins. It's not because I'm depressed. I'm just clumsy. Uh, <laughs> just really clumsy, exactly. But I mean, he's got a huge emotional range. You know, this is the man that can deliver nine inch nails hurt, but he can also do a song about an anaconda swallowing you whole. So, or about a wow. chicken that brains. Have you ever heard Johnny Cash's song where he brain swaps with the chicken? No. Nah. It's called Chicken in Black. It's amazing. Anyway, um, so Johnny Cash. Have you had a black chicken before? No, I've only ever owned red ones. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, because <laughs> there's a particular type of chicken. Um, I can't remember the name exactly, but they're these um, sort of uh, chicken with white or black fur, but the meat inside is black. Oh. So rather than the feathers, they're down as like super furry right. and they have like these almost ostrich legs. Old Delicious. Meat. Yeah, you kind of make them in herbal soups. Really nice stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, I have to try it. Also Chinese, actually. Okay. Um, so I, I feel like Johnny Cash and C.S. Lewis would get along, definitely. I feel like Johnny Cash would be the most awkward at, at this meal. Um, but we'd go to a, a Texas, like, barbecue house. So, you know, he would feel the most at home. C.S. Lewis would find that a novelty being English. And then I'd also have Walt Disney there. Um, Walt Disney is a man I'd love to have a conversation with. He just has such a strong vision for the future. And I feel like he never got to pull that off. It's just crazy to see in history, not just because of all the movies or whatever, but just someone that like had all these goals, set them out, accomplished them like one by one and knocked them out of the park. And he had some really good concepts for what Epcot was meant to be. And he never got to, like he wanted it to be like a self-sustaining city that was really beneficial and it never hit that. It just become like meme future land. Um, so I think it'd be interesting to have all three of them there. C.S. Lewis and Johnny Cash would obviously have a conversation about faith that would convert Walt Disney. And then we could all party with the big G and have one day. Yeah, I don't know. That, I think it'd be cool to chat with those guys. So that's who my meal deals would be. I just realized I can't believe I didn't say Jack Kirby. Oh my gosh. Oh, you can't go back now. No one Damn remembers it. Jack Kirby. No one gives oh. Jack Kirby credit. No one takes poor old Jack Kirby out for dinner. They all take Stan Lee out for dinner. I bet Stan Lee comes up in this answer all the time. Oh, I want the old man that shows up in Marvel movies at my dinner table. To be fair, my dude was like a severe introvert. So he'd probably be really grumpy that I resurrected him yeah. just to kind of have dinner with the chubby, bougie Indian yeah. boy. Would you get him to sign a napkin and then pass off that art as your own? Yeah, for real. <laughs> Put up eBay. This is like clean original. This is, yeah, exactly. Build a massive empire cameo in my 30 movies from a napkin verse. Do you reckon if Jack Kirby is um, eating some spaghetti, like obviously spaghetti is a messy food. If he like spills the spaghetti on his white shirt, it'll splatter like Kirby crackle. Like there'll be little dots really <laughs> clustered in the middle and then outskirt little dots all over the place. It looked like a cosmic, you know, Phoenix force power. No, that's only when he's having his crispy pork belly because he had the right. literal Kirby crackle. <laughs> Kirby crackle. <laughs> it's a secret recipe. It's out of this world, guys. You got to try the Kirby crackle. <laughs> Cosmically uh, brined. Cosmic- yeah, that could, that could work. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's move on to the real meat and meal of today's podcast. Fuck, um, I'm hungry now. <laughs> you're always hungry. third. <laughs> <laughs> Le 
So just sip, just sip your, your side. Guys, I just got like fat shamed through Zoom, even though I haven't seen Benjamin physically. It's all the rage. Te- uh, all the teens <laughs> on the Zoom chat with the teachers, constantly fat shaming their teacher. Um, which is fair. They rock you up in their pajamas to teach them. So Yeah, what is uh, it? let it hang, yo. That's the world at the moment. So we are Ben and Cleon, uh, the miraculous stars of the Lupin the Third podcast. Uh, one of currently maybe two podcasts on the internet, apparently. Actually, I found out there was a third one Ooh. as well. Okay. Yeah, so we so have we some got, competition. That's a competition, but we are going to steal all the audience, all one of you that's listening right now. Um, I, I really do apologize to the Side Beds and Cigarettes podcast <laughs> for Ben <laughs> straight up whipping his podcast dick out. <laughs> on their podcast reviews. To be fair, you yeah. did give them a five-star review. I did. So not only did you announce that you were going to steal I was their, their first review, yeah. Yeah, not only did you announce that you were going to steal their listenership, but you gave them a five-star review, somewhat promoting them and making it even harder for us to steal yeah. their viewership. <laughs> You're going to set a challenge. So for, for context, in case you didn't pick that up, there's another podcast for Lupin called Cybirds and Cigarettes. I have posted on their wall, on one of their reviews, they posted... We will steal this podcast's niche audience. Sign the boys from the Asinine Lupin podcast. So, you know, I want to create a bit of rivalry, a, a bit of what Lupin has going with, with Zenny. Um, exactly. I put you out our calling that card. That's it. I, I put out the calling card. It's up to them how they respond. Yeah. Will they let us run with it? Will they? Will we team up an interview someday in a crazy scenario against an even bigger bad? I don't know. The, uh, yeah, it'll be like the Green versus Red uh, Lupin movie. That's right. Oh, Asinine that would be cool versus if cigarettes. all of the podcasts were named after a different jacket. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, on on this subject of, of fan mail and not letting it go to our heads, um, we also have a comment from sixteenth <laughs> of Jan- of July two thousand and nineteen. So um, we're trash at keeping up with these, um, but it is a comment from someone called Zenigata Stan, um, and this is what they say, Cleon. And they say, "Just listen to your first episode and really enjoyed it." I'd really like to hear your guys' thoughts on the new Lupin 3 3D animated trailer. Then he actually listened to our podcast and came back to edit his comment. So that's a good sign. That means he didn't turn it off and and just be nice to us. Um, After listening to whole three episodes, I have to say I really like this podcast. You two have fantastic chemistry and the way you incorporate your interests into the recommendations section of each episode is great. You two have a great sense of humor and it's cool to see fellow Aussie nerds. You oh, know, that's mate. so sweet. Yeah, it's mate. Lovely. Yeah, mate. Onya, Baronya. Uh, maybe <laughs> you should incorporate... Hey, he might live in Baronya. Who knows, man? Who knows? Uh, maybe you could incorporate... We've all lived in Baronia at some point or another. Um, maybe you could incorporate recommendations on how to find more niche Lupin media, or perhaps guides to newcomers to what episodes from the older series people should watch. Thanks, you two. Love from Zenigata Stan. I- I'll tackle that first one, because yeah. I've been revisiting some of the older stuff uh myself now zenigata stan it sounds like you two are australian um which kind of makes it a little bit difficult um unfortunately for us australian lupine fans uh the kind of niche 
wide range of Lupin content is a little bit tricky to get our hands on, mm. um, especially the movies and OVAs and the older parts. So the stuff that I'm aware that we have here is we've got Castle of Cagliostro on Netflix. Mm-hmm. We have part four and part five um, on Crunchyroll and Anime Lab, though the Anime Lab part four only has the English dub. So I don't know oh, whether, you know, okay. fans are, du- are dub only, sub only. I, don't, I like both. I check mm-hmm. out both. And I, I think both um, have a really good voice cast and both kind of do slightly different things in a way that, that I really like. And I think, you know, for, for a podcast as well, we'd probably like to talk about that once we cover a little bit more mm. content and then we get into um, that side of things. But in regards to older stuff, look, um, I know that there are some DVDs on Amazon and stuff that you're able to get. But if you have a VPN, you could um, watch the old seasons on Crunchyroll. Now, for our North American um, listeners, please let us know if you guys have access to the old parts, parts one to three. I'm pretty sure American Crunchyroll has the older series, but yeah. I think Crunchyroll's guard against VPNs is very strong. So okay. uh, you'll have to go in as if you're going into a stealth mission, uh, yeah. like Lupin, be very prepared. Um, <laughs> very ironically, Lupin. <laughs> We're not saying to that. steal, uh, but, you know, if it helps you to get into character to watch this stuff, um, that is one way. <laughs> And then the other thing is we have the um, 2010s uh, live action Lupin movie. That's on Anime Lab, but it's also available um, for a home release as well at your local DVD store or whatever. Um, And we also have uh, a woman called Fujiko Mine that's available at most DVD. Yeah, I was able to buy that at JB Hi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's to to my knowledge, th- those are all of the Lupine products that are available um, in Australia. I was able to get from my one of my local libraries a copy of The Mystery of Marmo, and I watched oh, okay. that um, many many moons ago. Uh, probably not recently enough that we could do an episode on it just yet. But um, yeah, but otherwise, to get your hands and stuff, you need to kind of look elsewhere or really you know, uh, prowl the internet to try and find a home release copy. In regards to where you should look if you want to delve into the older stuff, honestly, part one is a great way to start. Um, I think Castle of Cagliostro is probably the best first watch to kind Mm. of get a sense of what Lupin is, who these characters are, and what like a swashbuckling style story involves with these characters. But if you really want to get into the origins of these characters, get to know them from the beginning, part one is a really great place to to begin. Um, Especially, you know... uh, I think Goemon as well, the way that he comes into the fray is is very unique. Um, it's kind of, he, he's not kind of set up in media res as opposed to Fujiko, Lupin and Zenigata. They, I think the show sets up with all three of them sort of knowing each other after the continuity of a woman called Fujiko Mine. But otherwise, part one is a really great place to start. And, you know, if you're happy to have the sort of older style animation and, and sound quality, I reckon you really enjoy it. The characters are there. The stories are there. It's it's really fantastic. So that would be my recommendation for that one. Mm. But if you do feel like you need something a bit newer, because, um, you know, the Speed Racer era of anime doesn't quite gel with you, uh, I would recommend part four uh, going into that. It's probably the easiest to find online. Uh, it's easiest to buy the DVD if you want to import it from overseas. Um, and it'll have the most normal-esque 
Lupin series, but be aware that Rebecca is not part of the main cast. Yeah. Um, she's new for that series. I will say to exercise caution around that, because I think part four is a really great representation of Lupin as a whole, but I think at the start, it kind of expects you to know the characters and the character dynamics yeah. from the get-go. So what, watching Castle of Cagliostro... That would be the first gatehouse, I'd say. Yeah, because it is a standalone movie, but it does very well to establish the relationships of these characters, yeah. what the characters' motivations are, um, and a kind of baseline for what the Lupin universe yeah. is like. And then transitioning to part four is really great. And I think to, to piggyback off Ben, like, once you finish part four, um, you can definitely uh, go straight into part five yeah. as well. But I think as well, if you're like, ooh, I want to I wanna check out something with a bit more of a specific tone, something a little bit more art house almost, A Woman Called Fujiko Mine is a really great next step. Uh, yeah. it, to me, it's always been like the HBO miniseries for Lupin. Yeah, it's if you want to flex on your friends and brag at your high quality tasted anime and that you watch <laughs> boobs in every episode, then I definitely recommend A Woman Named Fujiko Mine. Uh, it is, yeah, just, it feels otherworldly kind of the quality. Like, it's hard to put that as an anime and then suddenly, like, my life as a slime blob and, like, you know, they both fall under the umbrella of anime, but they're so different in quality and tone, yeah. Yeah, I would compare A Woman Called Fujiko Mine more to stuff like, you know, Breaking You're Bad right. and Yeah, Mad like, Man I hate you. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's an anime for after dark for adults. You <laughs> gather in your smoking parlor um, yeah. with your wife who dolls and you watch a little bit of But I would, I would say, even though chronologically it's the first Lupin series, I don't necessarily think that it's the best first place to yeah. go. I think once you have a kind of understanding of who these characters are and have experienced some of those Lupin adventures, it's a great sort of next step to go yeah. um, to check out the diversity of what Lupin has to offer. Yeah, definitely. Otherwise, wait for the new movie to come out. The 2020 Lupin CGI film probably gives you a really good flavor of everything Lupin will be from the yeah. looks of it. And on that topic, uh, Ben, are you ready to talk about that trailer? Yeah. So, um, yeah, this new movie is coming out. So Lupin is the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, every time I'm like, oh, you know, that's my Lupin for the year. They announce, like, the next Lupin movie or VA or series. We're getting a CGI um, movie, full-length movie. It is, I know it's definitely being released in Italy uh, and North America just got the rights for distribu- distribution as well. Um, don't know how Corona Chan's going to impact that. Um, but we hope we will get an English version of this movie somehow in a watchable format. Maybe not Australia, but surely a release on Blu-ray or something. Um, and I think, like, the intention for this movie, especially watching the trailer, um, it feels like it, this is Lupin's attempt to really break into that Western audience. Yeah, um, they've, they've got a Pixar-y... I mean, you say that about every CJ movie these days, but this one really has a Pixar-y feel to it. It's taking an, a Western animation qualities to the characters, not just Japanese anime qualities. Um, yeah, and um, the kind of thing, like, it feels like an Uncharted game, you know, which yeah. is very... Mainstream high, high adventure. There's a mystery, like a nearly a national treasure, an Indiana Jones kind of vibe. This big globe-trotting mystery adventure, which is always highlighted the best parts of Lupin. 
yeah and it has really really high stakes as well what you can see from the trailer mm. you know it's this big bombastic adventure but also there's you know it seems to be a dastardly villain some some concepts that might be world breaking as well so they definitely kind of hit that trying to hit that sort of um big summer movie blockbuster type of niche well mm. not niche but <laughs> kind of um area um, that Marvel seems to have a monopoly on these days. Yeah. Now, as uh, fans of the series, what's the first thing you notice about Lupin in the trailer, Cleo? To me, I... W- w- all right, let's just talk about, like, because uh, I just have a little bit, like, and, and some questions for you as well. Okay, okay, on, sure. On, on this. I never realised that Lupin's... Well, it could just be this movie's interpretation of it, but Lupin's jacket is, like, a leather jacket. Did you notice the texture on the jacket? It yeah, looks like this leather one's a bit or like crocodile skin. Yeah. Because it, it immediately, like, you know, um, shone out to me. And I compared it to the other jackets in the trailer that other mm. characters were wearing. And it was very much like, yeah, that sort of um, either that sort of um, prince sort of leather or like, no, no, Eddie Murphy from Raw <laughs> style <laughs> le- leather outfit or like, kind of like the alligator skin that a Texan oil baron would wear. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess maybe I would put that down more to the plasticky look. Like there's a level of aesthetic that's appealing where characters look a bit plasticky. They're not going for ultra realism, but they're contrasting realistic CGI environments with that more stylized character design. I would maybe yeah. put the texture down to that and having reflective surfaces. I know Japan is a big fan of that. Um, but yeah. maybe it is intended to be a different jacket. At the moment, it is red. And it's called Lupin the First. So we assume this is taking place around part two based on the current jacket trend. Well, there is that. But also we know that in the manga, uh, the jacket that Lupin starts off with is a red jacket. Oh, is it? Yeah, it is. Oh, green jacket. I green was the first. So it starts off with red and then goes into green in the first sort right. of... Um, not even the first anime adaptation, actually. That's another error. There's a sort of... Uh, pilot anime movie which is a diff like which is i think a yeah. red color jacket and then when part one starts that's right. the first green jacket okay start. so and the movie's called lupin the first so this could be going right back to one of his first adventures not necessarily i, th- okay. I think the movie's called lupin the third the first so does it necessarily uh, you know point to the first sort of jacket of lupin or is it pointing to the first asene lupin yeah, it could be either. Um, in fact, the trailer even mentions uh, this is like a case that uh, Asane Lupin or Lupin III was not able to solve the first time around. And they're yeah. having another, this is their biggest failure. I think it describes this mission. Yeah, um, and Lupin in a moment that I don't think I've seen very much in the anime or any of the movies that I've watched, but he straight up calls the original Asane Lupin grandpa. Yes, that uh, was interesting. Which is really interesting. And um, a lot of the promo material, like there's um, a little figurine, mm-hmm. a lot of the posters has Lupin in a cane and top hat. Yeah. Which is the uh, sort of main costume that the original Asene Lupin in Maurice LeBlanc's story wears. So mm. there's definitely a sort of huge connection to the original Lupin. And again, we said this about part five. Part five. And it never kind of happened. <laughs> that was an interview. They said we were going to find out about Lupin's grandfather. We never got there. So Yeah. So this could know. be another misdirect where they're like, hey, yep. guys, we're finally going to tell you like heaps about the origin, but it's mm. really a bit of a misdirect. Yeah. And, and it just turns out to be a really cool Lupin story. 
Okay. All right. So we just watched Lupin the Third, nineteen seventy four. What was the title of this movie, uh, Ben? Strange Psychokinetic Strategy. And if that isn't the weirdest title you've ever heard, I don't know what else is. I don't know, like, if listeners are going to be able to see the uh, cover up. Maybe we can put it in, like, the show notes or something. Definitely. I don't know. Are show notes a thing that we can do, Ben? Uh, sure. I don't know what a show note is, but we can do them. I'm sure we can. Uh... <laughs> so let, let, let's, like, yeah, try and put a link for the DVD cover for the um, listeners at home because it is uh, it is wild. It is like this sort of, you know, really retro hypnotic artwork with the three characters with the four three or four characters in the front yeah, imagine an old man playing lupin but with like a popped collar and like the 70s Saturday night fever disco look he's got like yes. an ascot it's i mean it's nearly like you're looking at the cover art for an austin powers film but it's a an authentic 1974 lupin movie um I is how I found out about this was I was looking for how to import new Lupin media and I was researching on one of the companies that uh, kind of distributes Lupin and they had recently released a Blu-ray version of this movie and I was like hang on what is this movie what is, what am I looking at I knew about the live action from when was that 2015 2015 yeah, yeah. in the teens yeah, yeah. Uh, which we will cover in an yes, upcoming Cleon's episode. seen it but I'm yet to see it but we will talk about that uh, but then I found this, and like, Cleon, you have to be aware of this. Like, Lupin <laughs> Goldmine delivers again. There's a 1974 movie. Um, so we immediately tracked it down and were able to find it and watched it together. And oh, boy. <laughs> Honestly, listeners, like, it's going to be so hard to talk about this movie without y'all having not seen it first. So if you can, if you can procure Go a copy. If you're a niche Lupin fan and you want to see the wackiest the series has to offer. <laughs> One of the most truly insane things you'll see this year. Yeah. Um, I highly recommend checking it out. So do, do you want to go over the plot, Ben? Like, how do yeah. you want to do this? Like, because there's just so many places to start with this right, we'll, we'll start. We'll start with the general consensus of the plot. So to be honest, as an adaption Lupin, it holds up pretty well. You have uh, the the main cast uh, minus Goemon, because uh, this yeah. movie's pretty, made pretty early on before Goemon's part of the regular crew. Um, yeah. You have Lupin, Fruchikur, Jigan, and Zenigata. And, you know, some of them, they're a little bit goofier than they are normally, uh, but they're the same kind of characters, the same kind of boundaries you expect the characters to act in. Except maybe Zeni is a bit dumber at this point in the series, and uh, uh, Jigan is uh, maybe a bit uh, more comedic. Uh, to be point. fair, I would say, like, yeah, I would say Zeni is definitely, like, an extremely sort of, Looney Tunes exaggerated mm. version of himself. Yes. And um, Jigen is probably, honestly, nothing like what we see him in no, the series. He's, he's not he's kind stoic. Of, um, no. And and he isn't like, I think Jigen very much puts himself at the same level of Lupin, but in this movie, there's definitely like a subservience yeah. to it and a sort of like uh, respect that 
you know, in this, it's more of like an underling superior sort of respect, but in the show, it's very much a like, hey, we're like, we're brothers sort of for respect, yes. you know? So I think there's definitely some different vibes coming from yeah. those two. But I would say this is a pretty decent adaptation mm. of Lupin and Fujiko. Mm. It tries to deliver a uh, or- an origin story for Lupin. And if you had to go with a film adaption of an origin story, it was pretty, pretty good. So... The general this idea. This is yes, yeah, the yeah. most origin to the point where we see Lupin just newly birthed into the world. <laughs> like this goes that far back. Is like it- a dude is straight out of the uterus, and we're like, "Yup, there is no mystery. This is who this character is." is it- it's actually like it, it was a very refreshing change from you know all the airs of mystery that we have in all of the other versions of lupin for yeah. the last 50 years there's a, quite a logical story that honestly i would like to see the anime tackle a version of the origin like this or incorporate elements um so the general setup is lupin is very green and he's saving in korea but he's starting to gain notoriety uh he encounters fujiko that he has no former relationship with but sees her in a prison van Think she's attractive and immediately goes out of his way to break her out of prison. Uh, just something to do. I with. was immediately like, yeah, these two characters are like completely recognizable yeah, from the series. The, the I was immediately hooked, actually. Yeah, he's very yeah. monkey-like in his expressions and attitudes. Um, Fujiko, yeah, I was surprised they could do such a good Fujiko. She's she's a bit yeah. campy and, you know, winking at the camera as she does her gags, but she's very it's much... It's a very Batman 66 sort of yes. um, version of these characters. Um, it actually, you know what, overall, it kind of reminded me of the Batman it was, 66. It's the Batman 66 of Lupin, definitely. <laughs> But yeah, like they have this amazing dynamic of, you know, playing into each other, tricking each other, double crossing each other straight away. Uh, They're quite loony tunes every time Lupin tries to kiss her. You know, she pull out, her her gimmick is she pulls out a a card from her underwear and throws it and destroys something and that'll fall down on Lupin's head, knock him out uh, and she'll escape. It's quite comedic, uh, quite, uh, you know, you could put a modern misogynist angle on it, but it was just, it was just the comedy of the time. She um, is straight up Hisoka from Hunter Hunter. Like she, <laughs> people in this movie just have superpowers. Yeah. It's just a it's, thing. They, there right? is, it's very much like Kung Fu hustle. Like they just are breaking the laws yeah! of physics and comedy at any point. If the, the writers Shaolin or the actors Saka, thought yeah. it was a gag, they threw that gag in whether or not it was going to work. And it, it is gag a minute. Like, I laughed out loud quite a few times at just the surrealness. It nearly felt like, um, like there's one part, Zenny is standing near a door and they close the door. <laughs> and he turns like, like out of some clay paper mache, like a 2D Zenny and falls on the ground as a prop. Okay. And that, that reminded me very much of like, like airplane and top secret and, um, uh, naked gun and like the old satire Western parody yeah. movies. But this yeah. is just like, this is just their straight joyous comedy. That's how they were vibing it and it works mostly apart from you've got to understand why that is maybe funny i don't know if people i think you just sort of accept that this movie uses slapstick as a plot device yeah yeah, exactly like there is a moment where lupin is facing off against a character who looks like jigen Kind of from like Jiket from the actual series. There's oh, yes. a moment where you know he's been hunted down by assassins, and uh, he straight up 
freezes time, <laughs> looks at the audience and says, do you want to know how Lupin sorted this shit out? And the scene freezes and he sort of g- does all of these fourth wall breaking hijinks and does a Goku instant transmission to the opponent and knocks the gun out. All right, so Cleon, you can see like it's pretty uh, uh, slapstick and comical, yeah. uh, like with gags like that. Um, I guess it, that's kind of what the movie is, really. Like it had, it does have a plot, but it really kind of meanders and takes its time just doing whatever it finds funny. Um, I guess. It, as far as the plot goes, once Fujiko is freeing on the loose, uh, Zinigata is trying to track her down. Um, uh, Jigan is searching for Lupin. He, they haven't met yet. They meet in this movie. Uh, and we talked briefly, there's a whole Lupin empire that's set up. Yeah, let's briefly um, talk about the family lineage because a lot of this movie delves into the family lineage that the series doesn't really talk about in an explicit way. This way, this movie actually mm. breaks it apart and kind of highlights all the details. So we have the original Asene Lupin, who we would have still assumed was the same Asene Lupin from Maurice LeBlanc's yeah. stories. And he he's known he was known as a loner. That's what they sort of say in this movie. But his son ends up being a mafioso-esque crime boss. Who, yeah, a, a very competent successor who nearly succeeds Lupin the yes. first. Uh, and rallies all the mafia and all organized crime under one empire. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you're more averse in this than I am, but I can't help but think that's a very uh, a One Piece kind of uh, plotline. I guess if we imagine uh, Gold Rogers at the, the peak of his power <laughs> and that kind of thing. Yeah, very much um, so. And it's also like a callback to, you know, the 1920s Prohibition era, which is, I think, what influences the aesthetic of Lupin uh, quite significantly and they're kind of mm. trying to go for that early what what began the mafia in, in a particular yeah. way and, and like what if this guy a la Al Capone sort of started to you know really make his presence known had the momentum and kind of united all of those crime families or took them by force so we have a much more sinister sort of character that succeeds yeah. the original Asene Lupin but there's an there's an event with the rival crime family. There's betrayals. Who who are the the macaroni, macaroni family? family. Uh, it's spelled different, but I'm pretty sure if you phonetically say it, it's the macaroni. It is because the C H in Italian. I'm pretty sure in certain words is a K sound, so it's definitely macaroni. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, the well, fortunately or unfortunately, the family gets slaughtered, including Luke. Slaughter everything. Yeah, yeah, including Lupin the Second. However, there are two people who survive. Apparently, obviously, Lupin the Third survives, so his son, um, as well as our favorite hitman, Daisuke Jigen. Mm, which I actually think was a cool bit of origin given to Jigen. Yeah. Uh, now, I know there is some more canon origins to Jigen than others, but every time we get like a Jigen centric episode, I always feel like in the series, I always feel like they tell a little bit more of Jigan and it's not very consistent. I would say he's maybe the least consistent in origin th- character or the most, the vague in origin I character. I think he's probably had the most phases in his life. We look at his yeah. history. We obviously know there was a phase where he was in the military and a mercenary force. Mm. We know there was a phase where he did work for organized crime families and such. And I think this particular yeah. movie takes that type of Jigen, which fits really well. He definitely has that Yeah, aesthetic. I think it matches really And good. I actually yeah. think, like, in a way, even though this character 
personality-wise and character-wise isn't very much the Jigen we know. I think um, the idea of having this character that's trying to get the best out of Lupin, you know, trying to get, like, the legacy back on and kind of trying to get Lupin to really see, you know, what he's inheriting. Um, Mm. I think, I feel that does make a little bit of sense for that character to be in that. If we were to have this Elseworld story where we do have this crime family lineage, I think it's a really, really good use of him. Yeah, yeah. I also think um, the other consistent thing across all Jigans is uh, his... uh, ability and power level uh like jigan if he had more confidence could be like the most talented character in the universe but he always kind of needs to be uh two steps behind someone uh, and so he's looking for lupin you know you're the lupin of this empire you need to be the leader he's looking for a leader but like when we're introduced to him he does the classic like shoots three times in three random directions and then we watch three bodies <laughs> of people we didn't even know were in the room drop out of their hiding places um so, you know, that part of Jigan, I think, is very consistent. He does wear the hat the whole yeah. time. Um, there are quite a few good gags in his acting where he's shuffling the hat around his face to mask his expression. Or uh, a fun little gag. I don't know if this has ever happened in the show. Like a flap lips, lifts off of his hat and uh, he peeks out through a flap in his hat. Yeah, <laughs> that was really cool. <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, they had a lot of fun with him. Um, so, you know, he finds Lupin, he tries to give him a speech, they evade Zenigata and his buffoons in a Scooby-Doo chase yeah. through, through some pipes. Um, and he's trying to rally him. Um, we later discover, somewhat unconnectedly, that uh, the Japanese government is transporting... Uh, a Dogu statue. Did I say that? I right? have no idea, Ben, because the strange psychokinetic <laughs> part of this movie completely <laughs> fucking escaped me. You mentioned, like, oh, there was these strange psychokinetic, psychokinetic objects. I'm like, I, I completely had an absent seizure for every moment that this movie tried to tell me about them. There was so much else going on that I did not at all. See it. Like, I th- obviously, like, there were people with crazy superpowers and, like, absolutely bananas shit happening. But for me, it was like, oh, they're just breaking the fourth wall. They're like, we're doing whatever we want. This is a Saturday evening sketch show, basically. So I don't really yeah. care about reality, you know? Kind of maybe, I don't know how far into the movie, like half an hour, 45 minutes, they introduced this plot line that um, Japan has found some Dogu statues. They're these famous... Uh, fertility i guess clay sure. statues japan sure, has man. that they dug up from some old era i could probably oh they're from the jomon period yomon i go Go-mon? yeah sure <laughs> goemon that was goemon's cameo in the movie let's just um, go with it uh they're they're the, the basis for you like this they're the basis for bell toy in oh, Pokemon, uh, cool. which is why he's clay and psychic so they've always resembled i aliens. thought he was a the dreidel kind of, like jewish dreidel no, the Jewish Pokemon is, um, I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, the, uh, yeah, so they've got some kind of reoccurring in Japanese mythology. They're associated with aliens or they look very alien already. Like you can look up this relic, you can buy a relic of it in Animal Crossing from the newly updated Red's Treasure Guy. Um, but they have some kind of psychic power. So the movie plays into this plot. They have one present that's being transferred to Japan's research 
lab for psychic psychokinetic energy, which I can only I really hope there is an era of Japanese history because it comes up so often in anime where Japan legitimately dedicated funding to studying psychics. That would be so interesting. I think definitely because um, we know like you know movies like Akira and stuff, and yeah. even to a certain extent Evangelion has so much to do with. Oh, all of or this. Pokemon has psychic type, yeah. and you have that same thing when Ash tries to battle Sabrina yeah. and his her dad works at one. So there must be something in the history where psychic abilities was very seriously observed. Yeah, and I do think like coinciding with, you know, because a lot of when they talk about psychic stuff, it's very much that Western, you know, sort of style to it. So I do think it was something that they saw from the West that they were like, oh, maybe there is something in this, you know, and it was kind of a bit of a fad in in the mindset of of Japanese media. Even then I wonder like, Eastern, you know, like rituals and practices that try and kind mm. of like fool people with their abilities. I wonder if like uh, there is some kind of like Buddhist guru meditation psychic element that raises the appeal in, in the East as well. Um, but um, they have one, its eyes are glowing and Zenigata and some police are in charge of helping transport that. And they know that Lupin's gonna come for this crime. And so <laughs> Lupin sets his side on it and Working with Jigan and Fujiko, we get a very classic Lupa and shenanigan gag to uh, get this uh, artifact, as well as jewels that were also at the museum. I guess they were there, just there. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and they dress up. As, oh, their their plan seems very good when you watch it, but if you stop and think about it at any point, it doesn't make sense. Because they break into a place and steal costumes from the front door and then walk out of that place and use the costumes to break in without anyone noticing that they broke in. So I don't know why they put in the effort for the costumes in the first place, but they dress up as plumbers, they suck up uh, gems through a pipe through the toilet. Um, Fujiko classically betrays Lupin, um, and uh, when Lupin opens the last safe, Zenigard is waiting for him. They all tackle him and stop him. Um, And yeah, it's just your classic shenanigans. I thought it really, like, even though the, the movie is quite absurd and very slapstick, this particular segment translated cartoon logic to real world, you know, wacky heist so well. It's kind of a shame, I guess, heist movies these days are so dry and serious. Like, here's how we'll realistically rob the Mona Lisa. Like, I think it'd be more fun if we had movies with more, like, quirky, ridiculous, over-the-top plans to rob a museum. Yeah. And I think, like, have a movie that, completely accepts its genre and the campiness within yeah. it, you know, completely accept the aesthetic and just go with it. Um, I think, wasn't mm. it Rick and Morty that did an episode about that? Where it yes. was just like... <laughs> you son of a fish, I Yeah, mean. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I loved it because I'm just like, yeah, it's doing it. it. It does it almost beyond the meta level and then it becomes quite ridiculous. Um, yes. But, you know, that, that was the point. It was, it was a complete examination of that. And I feel like this movie could almost be that, you know, like this almost meta commentary on um, the heist genre and how absolutely Mm. ridiculous it is. Yeah, which um, I guess (laughs) brings us towards the climax of the movie. And and going (laughs) going back a couple of steps, I'd also like to talk about something that um, happened earlier in the movie. Jigen sort of, you know, he hides out a hotel room. He he gets all of these luxurious items. He's like, yep, I'm going to pick up Lupin. 
you know, we're going to find him. We're going to, you know, live it up and build this. Treat him like royalty. Yeah, yeah, live like royalty and build up this empire again. And Lupin basically sell, gives away everything except for a toilet and a telescope. So he can try <laughs> and spy on women. And it's this beautiful scene where Jigen's like very much the comedic straight man, which I guess he is yes. in the series as well. But by the time we get to, you know, part four, part five, he's sort of just like, yeah, whatever. He's like the chill grandpa. I've accepted Lupin for who he is, but this is his protesting Lupin's behavior a yeah, bit more. He doesn't realize how much of an absolute trickster god he is. And so yes. it's very much like, oh, like, how can you do this? You know, don't you realize what you've done? Like, you know, we have nothing now. And I really like this characterization of Lupin, you know? It's very much this sort of um, devil may care, sort of adrenaline junkie who's just going with his whims. He's, very, You know what? I would describe him as pure id. He's completely yeah. pure id in this movie. And I think that really fits this version of Lupin. Like if there were to be a Batman Brave and the Bold sort of Lupin series, it would be this movie. Yes, uh, very much so. Um, speaking of uh, Jagan's apartment, um, we also see this aesthetic. I don't know if it's ever carried over in other parts of Lupin, maybe in the mm-hmm. manga, but um, Lupin's uh, logo in this movie, he's got a tattoo of the Lupin family crest. I don't know if that's ever mentioned anywhere else, but it's shaped like a, I think it's meant to be a finger, like as in, cause he pinches and robs mm. people. Um, but it's kind of a gross <laughs> symbol cause this very fancy L and then like this kind of gross, like very feminine finger sticking at the top. Um, and then I guess going hand in hand with that, quite literally, <laughs> uh, Jigan's apartment is uh, decked out hands. with hands. Like I don't know if this, <laughs> but hands, like it's a, a plain white apartment with hands coming out of the wall, like some kind of modern jump scare horror. Who is film. he? Like, the, the bad guy in My Hero Academia? Like, what the yeah, hell? The hand burglar? <laughs> like who is <laughs> That one chick from One Piece? I don't know. <laughs> I love that you're trying, Ben. Like, I absolutely love I that you're trying. Well, he's always robbing someone. <laughs> hey! So. You, you know way more than you let on, don't you? <laughs> it what? must be just from complete no, chronic osmosis. I'm not smart enough to watch One Piece. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting aesthetic. It's kind of creepy, but it would be interesting to see more hands and stealing things associated with Lupin. There are so many um, three-act like, structures in this movie. I've completely lost track of which one comes yeah, before when. So let's just talk about like the big moments. All right, let's just talk yeah, about okay. the very first moment in Lupin history that it's been canonized that he's got it on with Fujiko. I don't remember that from this movie. <laughs> Did we even watch the same movie? I don't know anymore. <laughs> There's a scene where he boinks Fujiko, but the thing is, the guys who are trying to, like, I don't know, capture them or kill them. Oh, right at the very yeah. end. I'm not even there yet because I haven't got to the helicopter scene. <laughs> <laughs> See, I thought that was, like, midway through the movie. <laughs> No, I'm pretty sure that's like the comedic end of the film and the movie ends pretty bluntly after that, but it's a really weird place to end. Um, But yeah, we can talk about that scene because it's so wild. (laughs) A guy basically looks at the camera and says, I guess this is illegal to do, like have an actual sex scene. So it starts off with, I don't know what way it happens, but it starts off with, say, Lupin. And then Fujiko becomes like this stick figure gender symbol that he boinks. (laughs) He actively boinks 
and then it swaps yeah, think- over and then he becomes like a stick figure whilst Fujiko is boinking him. It is both deeply troubling and absolutely absurd. Yeah, you think your censorship in your hentai anime is bad. <laughs> this is, uh, that wasn't you specifically, that was a general audience. Uh, this is, yeah, they just turn into the gender symbols as stick figures banging each other. Um, I don't know if it was a great joke or the worst joke I've ever seen. It was just so wild. And someone's watching them while this is happening as well. I think Zenny, yeah. maybe? I can't remember. It was, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it was a very, very bizarre scene. Um of sudden animation suddenly yeah. in this film. It's completely... I just... I, I, it, what actually stunned me, though, was they were like, oh, they're just going for it. Yep, Lupo and Pijiko bang in this. They've never actually shown us proof that it's happened in the 50 years of the series, but this crazy, insane... Apart from the end of part five. Well, well, do we know that they boink? The closing, the closing credits heavily imply well, in this they dream void. Just held each other, Ben. Let me have my romantic, okay. innocent, okay. <laughs> elsewhere sure, of okay. their marriage. They held each other <laughs> nakedly, but this, this time day. we see him under the Raw covers. Carnal pleasure, my dude. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's just yeah. get back into the plot. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> so before this happens, <laughs> an hour before that's, this that's happens, that's how the movie ends. Yeah. Um, they're trying to deliver the dog, 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 doggy, doggy statue. style statue. Uh, <laughs> doggy style statue. Get your mind out <laughs> of the stick figure. Um, and uh, in actually, I this shot was really captivating to me. Uh, they fly in on a helicopter, like an actual helicopter, and they're actually dangling like a prop magnet from the helicopter. And I don't know, maybe it's been a while since I saw genuine special effects before CGI stuff in a movie, but I was like, oh my gosh, they're actually dangling like a huge cartoon novelty magnet from this helicopter. Um, that was cool. Like, that looks so dangerous to me to, to do that. Like, what if that magnet got, and it's not a real magnet, yeah. obviously. What if that string got caught up in the blades? Like, they do these amazing shots over the Japanese, some kind of Japanese coast road of this helicopter it was really yeah, good while still maintaining their very looney tune style aesthetic yeah i don't know how they did that in the 70s i don't know like i was at the start at the start even i think lupin standing on cars yeah. and stuff but just the the practical slapstick dangerous stunts that you don't see in movies anymore really stood out to me in this film and um they get this box and <laughs> they steal the doggo from the from zenigata and they end up in this house where the foundation breaks in the house Do you remember no, that? Not at all. <laughs> they fight some some guys some goons in this house this whole house is this, this amazing prop set and the house starts spinning on its foundations <laughs> so like while they're fighting everyone's like fall over the place lupin and fujiko fall on top of each other and then the house falls onto the edge of a cliff and so they beat the bad guys, they have the treasure, and Lupin and Fujiko start making their romantic gestures toward, towards each other. But uh, the house is right on the cliff now and starts tilting. And so as Fujiko tries to, like, crawl up on... Uh, as Lupin tries to crawl up on Fujiko, she, like, slides out from under <laughs> him. And then he crawls close and she slides further to the cliff. And, and they kind of have this romantic scene, not realizing they're both, like, perilously falling towards um, the cliff. And we get this shot of one of the dead bodies just starts sliding across the floor. Um, I don't know. That gag was really funny to me. And then they work out they're about to fall off the cliff and start freaking out. Speaking of gags, I loved the gag about the uh, enemy mafioso people getting those videos. 
with the exploding VCRs. Oh yeah! <laughs> Again, that felt very uh, uh, primordially uh, Inspector Gadget yeah. to me. Like yeah. uh, the whole tape exploding is classic. It's so good. Um, yeah, it did remind me of like the humor that you'd see in a Saturday morning like sitcom like cartoon. It was yeah. fantastic. Like I actually really appreciate kind of... that. Mm. Mm. So yeah, it's a. <laughs> as far as Lupin Media goes, I would say it's well, well worth a watch. Yeah. If you can get your hands on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I don't know if it's a good movie, no. but it's a good movie. It's, it's a absolutely insane movie. <laughs> it's entertaining. If you yeah. want to watch, watch Lupin, it's wacky. If you want to watch a movie that does about 10 different things right at the same time, we in the 70s, this is it. Like, you know, this is what, mm-hmm. you know, people with ADHD who, you know, would want to, but who are also like very cultured, they would appreciate yeah. this. Because that describes me. <laughs> exactly. Well. Yeah, I was like, this is the movie for Ben. I was watching the whole thing and I'm just like, Ben is going to enjoy this at least 10 times more than me. <laughs> I did. I definitely enjoyed it 10 times more than my wife enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I laughed out loud quite yeah. often in this uh, film, which, you know, is it's rare. It's genuinely funny. Like, I think the writers who did this w- would have actually written some really fantastic, you know, Saturday morning-like cartoons. Like, I think that it was, the writing mm. behind it was very familiar in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and I think, the, again, like what we've said, it's very much like classic Batman going back to that yeah. well. It's very much like classic Batman. And I think they do it a lot better than many other shows who would have attempted mm. to do something similar at, in the same era would have done. I yeah. think you messaged me even saying like, this looks incredible for 1974. I like it. I thought it really held up visually and cinematically. Like obviously it's a bit rough around yeah. some edges, but I kind of, I guess I had underestimated Eastern cinema. Like there's obviously good movies that have come out and good Kung Fu movies and that kind of thing. It's the bulk of what I've seen. But I just kind of assume Hollywood kind of meandered and I wouldn't really say Hollywood got very good until the 80s. Like, that's where you get all the big movies that I would go and rewatch. But I really felt like this had a comedic tone that a modern audience could have fun with and still enjoy. A lot of older movies, I think, are very slow-paced in Hollywood in the 70s. yeah, like visually, the shots, the the comedy, it really worked for me. Um, and it got me interested, like what other hidden gems are there from like Japanese cinema that I like, I've never had access yeah. to or, or never been able to observe. And on the more Lupin side, I wonder how it will compare to the live action Lupin movie, because I have seen portions of it, but yeah. I haven't finished it. Oh, you've not watched no, the whole thing? No, I haven't watched the whole thing. I only got to watch oh. the first 30 minutes and then the DVD stopped working. So, but, <laughs> classic. yeah, classic. So now, but now it's available on streaming. So I'll, I'll be able to finish right. it. Um, but what I thought was a real standout was, I mean, apart from really Zenigata and aspects of Jigen, I thought Lupin and Fujiko were pitch mm. perfect, really. Um, yeah. I actually think like this, this kind of poses a really interesting... Um, idea for what a Western adaptation of Lupin could be. Like, I think getting that medium ground of a sort of comedy with thrills would be a fantastic mm. way to adapt Lupin the Third. Yeah. I think it kind of showed, like, why camp comedic acting used to be a thing. Yeah. Like, there is definitely some some pros to that style of acting, really. Hand me up the character, giving a wink and a, a nudge to the camera, 
Um, those are all things that can work when adapting a cartoon character. And I kind of think because the West had a few blunders and disasters uh, with stuff like that, um, we don't do it that often anymore. And we everything's going to be gritty, redesign it, reboot it, rework it, so everything's believable. And, and all comedy has to be like world-breakingly subversive or dark or yeah. psychological. Yeah. I don't think you need to do that anymore. Like, um, I think it's kind of why like, the Flintstones, the first Flintstones movie kind of worked because yeah, yeah. they did like very campy slapstick. Oh, you know, this is the Flintstone version of Burger King. Here's some giant prop ribs we put on the side. Like, I don't know. I find that comedy, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's the funniest comedy, but there's room for it. And I think people dismiss that style too easily. And I think if you're going to do a live action Lupin, if you're going to do a Western Lupin, you would have to get someone that's willing to be willing to ham it up and really play into the character all the obscene parts. Obviously, I think you'd want to put more of an edge on it than this movie probably had. Um, but I don't think you'd want Lupin to be so serious no. and do a very literal interpretation. I of do story. think the womanizing aspects of Lupin would be an interesting facet to adapt in the modern day. Like, yes. I do wonder <laughs> how that will will kind of be taken. Um, I think I can definitely see like so many articles with hashtag problematic and stuff being done. But I do think there could be a way to do it really well that would satisfy most people, but still understand the character and and do the character um, with justice. As you said, womanizing aspects, I did just have like Nam flashbacks to the true ending of this movie. Do you remember how it actually ended? Was it like some sort of gag (laughs) at the dock where they're all like chasing each other? Uh, it was, it was, I mean, potentially, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I'm like 80% sure it's when like the Austin Powers, uh, fembots come out in their black leather oh, yes. and they like remove some outfit and they've all got these like these identical Japanese women in like booty shorts start yes. dancing around as like an amazing Lupin theme song starts playing and Lupin just kind of dances with them and tries to touch them and it's a bit uncomfortable but hilarious at the this same time. movie does bollywood before bollywood became a thing in the west <laughs> like there's a straight up scene yet yeah, where like people just show out of nowhere they're all singing together and i'm like oh my god this is now de- this was a sketch show a minute before now it's a bollywood movie you know yeah it was uh very yeah i thought it was very austin powers yeah. and and that's like that's a parody of the same spy yeah. genre um so I'm interested to see if, if like people made Austin Powers had like Mike Myers had ever seen this movie and they use it as a source, or if just if you make a parody of Spies, the womanizing aspect always ends up at this kind of comedic level of I don't know, because um, I guess that's the thing about Lupin. He's like he's a dorky character. Like even in his cartoon design, he's got kind of an ugly, not ugly, but like wonky appearance with like the hairy hands and that kind yeah, of thing not to give too much of part five part five's ending away but he very much looks like a stereotype of a cartoon character on purpose yeah. like it's very much done mm-hmm. on purpose he is supposed to stick out even amongst his yeah. gang he he is the odd one out and i think that very much works to you know benefit those aspects of his character um, you realize it's it's part of the goof, it's part of the charm in him. Mm. Um, yeah. And I, again, that's why I think translating it to live action, that's why we have this version of Lupin. Uh, did we even talk about what this guy looks like? 
No. <laughs> what do you what do you want to I say? Mean, then? Is that quite the, old? No, 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 not that aspect. It's more the costume is incredible. Oh, we didn't mention it earlier, but yeah. So uh, if you want to watch Lupin with a pop collar and no tie, this is the movie for you. It's got the Boogie Night Saturday Night Fever look going on. Disco King Supreme. It's incredible. I just, but you know what? It works. It works for the tone of yeah. the character. Oh, look, I think at the start, yeah. I'm just like, what? is this where is the jacket where is the you know suit and it was, tie yeah a bit unnerving but um yeah like you didn't it was interesting you didn't need the aesthetic no. of lupin to get the character of lupin yeah. that that was what this movie was a interesting lesson yeah in. man lupin is a state of mind yeah. it is and you can go there if you take some very psycho uh, psychokinetic <laughs> strange fertility <laughs> objects <laughs> Um, yeah, so that statue literally never pays off in the movie, <laughs> as far as I remember. <laughs> and even the psychic powers never come up, but the but Lupin does describe his relationship with Fujiko as having psychokinetic qualities. Like, I think he's trying to say there's some kind of like connection between them. Yeah, which you know what I liked. I, I genuinely do yeah. like because it is very much a part of what the series is. There is that completely, you know, undeniable magnetism between the two. And although it is for a large portion of the history of the show, a one-sided relationship, I think the the fact that, you know, the very first thing we see in this movie, apart from Lupin stealing a car with a matchstick, is him, you know, finding Fujiko and completely being driven by her. The fact that this movie... Lupin's aspect of the movie is completely driven by his lust for Fujiko. Really, really works mm. for the character. Um, almost, almost more so than a lot of other Lupin stories that I've seen. You know, this is in yeah. a way a more distilled Lupin than the one that we see in Cagliostro, mm. uh, which is a, yeah, I guess, it's... which is a very contentious thing to say. But I think this is very much that sort of primal base quality Lupin. Um, that they go for. Yeah, because yeah, Fujiko really takes a back seat in Cagliostro. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is, yeah, she's a fantastic actress for the oh. role. She even had partially orange yeah. hair before that was a staple for Fujiko. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think, I wonder if she was inspiration for the more modern take on Fujiko as well. Yeah, very much. Because uh, again, like there is the last part of the movie where she is the damsel in distress, but a large portion of the movie, she has the upper hand. Um, mm, she's Lupin. playing Lupin to get out of prison mm. and she could get herself out of prison at any point if she wanted yeah. to. Um, Which yeah. I really, really like. So uh, honestly, you know, uh, I don't know, again, like Ben said, I don't know if I recommend this saying it's a fantastic movie, but I think as a Lupin fan, you'd really, really get a kick out of it. I never can. It's the kind of movie you could whip out at like a, you know, bad movie night with friends yeah. and be like, hey, you guys want to watch something really wacky while we eat a bowl of chips? Like... <laughs> Check it on, which is how I watched Cagliostro. I had some friends that just had this DVD yeah. uh, and um, they're like, do you want to watch this? I'm like, I don't know what it is. You're also not the kind of person that suggests anime to me. Yeah. So why are you wanting to watch this? And it turned to be really good. So you never know, like you could probably show this to people. I'd be interested if anyone could find a parent that had seen this movie like closer to the release time. Yeah. Uh, and the parents like, oh yeah, you know, I remember seeing this. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, like I would love to know more about who is the original fan base of this because it, it recently got reprinted on a, a Blu-ray disc. So yeah, through discotech, time please fans. sponsor yeah, us, yeah. discotech, please. Sponsor <laughs> <us>. <laughs> more so, not for money, just so we can get more lupine stories because yeah, it is because it's so expensive in Australia. It is both a drought of water and lupine the third in in Australia. <laughs> yep. Plus, we have Corona, so please take mercy <laughs> on us. Um, but yeah, uh, it is. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm assuming this also somehow got an Italian dub, and I wonder yeah. what like Italian people view this movie. There as. are a lot of shots yeah. and settings actually, like down at the marina with you know ocean landscapes, and I do think it it still does have that sort of Italian like aesthetic and vibe so i do wonder whether it was marketed though again ben i'm not too sure about whether the italian audience for lupine was there just yet because uh, correct me if i'm wrong caliostro was about five years after this uh yeah so this was 74 caliostro 79 yeah and you've got mamo just before that yeah so i think this was still when lupine was i think primarily a sort of niche japanese pop culture franchise um i don't think it hit really global until kelly Oshro. though um yeah if anyone would like to correct us on that because we're literally talking out of yeah. out of uh, out of our ass we need to find japanese fans of lupin yeah. and uh, you know what is his history from your yeah. perspective because we're trying to piece it backwards yeah. or anyone who's been a lupin fan for longer than us which is not not that yeah. long at all or anyone who kind of understands the history of lupin would really like to get you on and yeah talk about it because um, I think equally as fascinating um, as the stories is is what the Lupin fandom is and and the history of it as a product. I mean, myself and Ben, we've had countless, countless discussions over why it, there is no, you know, quotation mark, Western adaptation. We feel it's so ripe. The fact that there's no Lupin adaptation before there was a, you know, adaptation of so many <laughs> other <laughs> anime franchises, before Dragon Before Ball, they remade the Pokemon, the first movie, yeah. a second time. <laughs> Before they had, you know, Ryan Reynolds' Pikachu. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, no, that's that's the line. Have we not had a Lupin adaption before Ryan Reynolds was Pikachu? <laughs> that is- <laughs> and now, you know, Netflix is straight up making a One Piece live action adaptation, which continues to boggle the mind. And look, I- I'm not approaching it with any negativity. I love One Piece. Fans of the podcast will, will know that as we've talked about it since episode one. But the fact that there is no Lupin adaptation before there is a One Piece one, absolutely, yeah, just confuses me. Absolutely confuses me. So, you know, we'd really like to hear a little bit more about that. And I think, Ben, in the coming weeks, we will aim to cover the um, more modern live action adaptation of Lupin, right? Mm, Yes, uh, I would be interested to watch the modern version um, because I guess... I've seen some live action Japanese movies, um, not probably great ones, but what I've seen, the style of cinema that seems to be prevalent in modern uh, Eastern cinema doesn't appeal that much to me other than the novelty um, for, so especially when it comes to anime adaption. So if I have to talk about the trash that I've seen, the the Japanese Death Note movie and the Japanese (laughs) Phoenix Wright movie uh, have this particular tone where I haven't know how to describe it. Everything feels artificial to me when I watch those movies. Like those worlds aren't believable. They're like a, a, a fake version or like a specific live action version of the anime. They never capture the depth of those worlds. I think um, there is a very real 
you know, truth in the fact that anime is anime for a reason. There are certain stories that are made into anime because the medium itself, you know, contributes to that. And I think where a lot of these live action adaptations kind of stumble is because it tries to do it on a one-to-one ratio. You know, it tries to do it completely. Whilst what we have here, this is almost the solution to this pandemic for the lack of a better word of these the, the whole live action you know hollywood adaptation sort of blight on on all of our favorite franchises is that this movie just takes the essence of lupin but completely writes its own movie about it to be fair it yeah. writes three different movies of it and puts them all <laughs> together into one thing yeah. but it very much does its own thing whilst keeping the distilled versions of these characters and into it and i think you know like i think i think the idea of a you know weekly lupine sitcom would really work well if we really lent on the comedy aspect but to me what i don't find as appealing is your hollywood blockbuster lupine story as a live action because it would be like okay cool this is the same thing that i've watched in the anime except it looks prettier in the anime you know if we're gonna do something with the live action Let's take advantage of that. I think this movie mm. took advantage of the fact that when we do slapstick in live action, it hits on a completely different level than when we do slapstick yeah. in an anime. And um, yeah, I, I would be really interested to see like a cable network such as Netflix or whatever, if they ever did get the rights to adapting Lupin to try and do something different with it. I think either end of the spectrum, you know, let's do either a, a weekly sort of comedy sitcom or let's just go full hbo dark like you know let's just <laughs> let's just make it true detective but lupin you know uh i would be interested to see whether yeah a western adaptation which would focus on a genre and a tone quite strongly but not necessarily add it adapt the show on a one-to-one level yeah okay um the the american tv series adaption lupin would be like from Zenny Goddess' perspective, you'd yeah. focus on the li- daily lives of this, the crime investigation unit going up against this incredibly wacky villain. Like everyone in, in the police force would act like a normal human, but then Lupin would be like this next level, crazy, <laughs> jerkeresque, but like harmless kind of criminal. Um, is how they'd do it if they would. I'd do it, almost but... be interested in that. Like it would kind of be like Kurt Busick's Marvels, you know, this idea of seeing it from yeah, the everyday. Yeah person everyday perspective of watching Lupin's yeah and then Lupin and the gang are just like these next level superheroes you know god they're they're probably gonna do that aren't they Ben if it ever happens they'll probably do it's the lazy route to do it because you don't have to spend as much time developing the characters or how they work um having said that with the 2020 movie coming up um we are getting the structure it looks like from the trailer we could be misled but the structure looks like it is you know what you need for a Hollywood movie to succeed. There's a bigger threat, bigger stakes, a plot they follow, they go on a journey, they come back heroes with the prize we issue. Um, like if that proves itself, if they can get traction behind it, you know, we never know what Western adaptions come out of it, especially as all cinema is dying at the moment. Yes. Um, it just needs to land in the hands of like a good like editor, like Edgar Wright or someone, like someone that can really play to those slapstick beats uh, and-, and break the fourth a bit meta sorry why did I'm you put the <laughs> idea of an edgar wright lupin movie in my head that's awful because if this never happens like now i will never <laughs> sleep correct oh my gosh 
Oh, this is why he never actually finished Ant-Man because he was meant for bigger and better things. Yeah. He didn't get his heist movie then because he's got to hold out his heist movie for Lupin. <laughs> and then Lupin comes in with Edgar Wright and it totally takes down Marvel Studios. They steal yeah. Marvel Studios, Ben. They steal Disney. That would be the heist mm. of the century. I mean, mm. if we were to take a part five lens into a Hollywood adaptation of Lupin the Third, it would be Lupin stealing the, the sort of Hollywood, Marvel, Disney monopolized blockbuster. Maybe. Oh, he like, yeah, he steals the adaption, the film adaption of himself. Yes. Oh, I want this more than anything now. <laughs> <laughs> Give me more Mana Lupin. I'm still hungry. <laughs> Would be good. All though. right. So, um, uh, Ben, looking ahead on our schedule, um, I don't think we really decided. Uh, would, would, would next time be Caliostra? Are we going to attempt the big one then? Um, I think we probably should. We should probably just cross that road. Yeah, yeah? I think so. Um, uh, we'll give we'll give ourselves a break from the live action, and I think, uh, yeah, for fans of the podcast, we'll, we'll cover Caliostra, and I think that'll be a really nice special episode for us. We're going to really mm. try and delve into it, as it was so formative for for both of us in becoming Lupin fans. But we also think that it's the you know, it's the kind of piece of Lupin media that most people know. And it's the one I think mm. that we can use as a jumping on point for families, friends, whoever the hell that we're quarantining with right now. So, um, yeah, I think that'll be a really great next step. And then after that, mm. I think uh, watching the um, new live action adaptation of Lupin yeah. and maybe even comparing it to this one in a way would be really yes, fun and that would be very interesting yeah and for anyone else who, who has seen this i would i'm really interested to to hear from fans about this movie but live action lupin stuff in general please let us know we are um asinine lupin on twitter we're asinine lupin at gmail.com we're asinine lupin on facebook please um send us your questions comments um queries ideas Heck, if you, you know, have a question, uh, what cocktail would each of the Lupin gang best resemble? <laughs> I would be more than happy to answer you. In fact, I've spontaneously come up with all of the answers already. Here are my five pre-prepared pages of notes <laughs> of how I've solved this problem. Um, we laugh, but Lupin has texted me on occasion, like, here's what every One Piece character's wine would be. Here's what every One Piece character's Pokemon partner would be. Um, so Cleon is well versed to answer those questions. Um, if there's, if anyone is listening, if there's any niche Lupin media that you've watched that you'd like to see our thoughts on, um, if you got high anime club one day at university and they chucked on, you know, Lupin versus the Beatles, and that's a movie we don't know exists. Um, yeah, let us know. We'll check it out and <laughs> give you a thought. There's probably on. an Archie comic where he showed up. Honestly, they've done so many crossovers. I, I think he's right for crossover. We definitely know he goes up against Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> Conan the Detective. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's funny because I know you didn't do that on purpose. That was a complete <laughs> fuck up on your part. <laughs> I would love to see Lupin go up against Conan the Barbarian too. I mean, he'd win. <laughs> um, but like, I actually would like to see Lupin cross over with other anime. I, I, I don't know how taboo this is, but I generally would like to see him in the One Piece universe. Oh, yeah. And like do a small OVA or movie or something where they they cross over. That would be so interesting to see Lupin in the context of being a pirate. Um, I don't have evidence and- for this, but I do think a lot of the character work and 
the kind of overall sensibility of One Piece definitely comes from Lupin. Like there is we've, no we've discussed your well, you know, Smoker is yeah. based on Zen. And I also think Luffy um, in, in, in certain aspects is a sort of Lupin-esque character. But we could I think I think we'll definitely have episodes uh planned hopefully far off in the future when we're, you know, not covering as much content, but you know, to talk about um Lupin's impact on media in general and pop culture mm. and anime. But you're right, Ben. I think definitely crossover stuff would be fantastic with the character. Yeah. So, All right. Um, any recommendations? Oh, uh, like in general media? Yeah, whatever, man. What um, have you been watching apart from Lupin? <laughs> uh, I have been uh, getting into... <laughs> I've got two options I can go down here, Cleo. I can go down right. the normie road or I can go down the hardcore weeb route. Which Fuck one? it. Let's go niche. All let's right, go so, esoteric um, round. I have been playing a Japanese MMO that came out eight years ago. Right. Uh, that has finally come out to the West as an Xbox One exclusive. If any anime <laughs> fan would know this, it would probably be a loop on the third anime fan because we're already niche and few. And Although I did join an alliance. Everyone was posting about anime they watched. And I posted, hey, have you guys all messed with weebs? Have any of you guys seen Loop on the Third? Just dead silence from the channel. So, oh, gosh. Uh, but it's a, it's a big deal in Japan. Uh, it was an MMO you could access on anything. Um, it's so, it's, it was such a big deal, in fact, that there is two anime adaptions of this MMO. Uh, there's one that tells the story of the game. Um, and there's one that is about students at the Sega High School playing Fantasy Star Online. And I'm pretty sure it's just Sword Art Online, but they've ripped it off to make it about Fantasy Star. Um, is Sonic in this? Like, <laughs> is it really Sega? So, yeah, so they go to Sega High. And they're normal kids, but they go to Sega High. There's a fountain of Sonic's head, like, in the middle of the school ground. And part of... So there, he joins some club, like the President's Club. Like, it's every anime trope under the, the sun. Uh, and she tasks him with writing reports on playing this MMO, which in the first episode, you're like, why, why would you do that at high school? Who want, who's going to read these reports? In the second episode, it is revealed that the school wants to know if the MMO that everyone's playing, which I guess the school is owned by Sega because it's called Sega Academy and Sega made the game, but the school wants to know if playing this MMO is causing students' grades to drop. So she gets this new kid, this guy that has absolutely no interesting features about him, your classic anime protagonist. Mm. Uh, and he has to write a report on this MMO whilst keeping his grades up. That's the premise of this anime. It's a huge waste of time. But uh, <laughs> Sounds so bad. And then, and then he logs into the, into the game and he meets this robot who's really cool and helps him out and is really manly and teaches him about how to have fun in an MMO. And then they log out at the end of the episode and it turns out the robot is the hot girl that's the club president that he's had a crush on the whole time. Right. Yeah. So it's every... I don't recommend this. That's not what I'm recommending. Recommend <laughs> Fantasy Star Online 2. Um, it's coming to PC in late May. Um... It was a big deal on GameCube. You can play it. It doesn't require a high commitment. I got up to level 60 of a level cap of 75 in like a week and a half. Uh, you can just log in and do your dailies. It's fun. It looks grindy when you log in, but you can meet some cool people. And it's got that like early 2000s MMO experience. Mm. I don't know mm. 
if you can relate to that, but it's this chill idea where there's lots of hubs to be social in and it's got a cool aesthetic from the early 2000s. Everything's like shiny and, and synthy sounding. Um, I know I'm having fun playing it. Um, and there's some yeah nice people you can meet on playing it. Oh, that's fantastic, man. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I've actually not played an MMO since I think Ragnarok Online. Yeah, okay. So it's it's you know you know that aesthetic from the early two thousands, like Ragnarok Online yeah. had it. Like it's yeah. just cool anime character designs and a in a cool social set. I don't know. There's something magical yeah. that modern MMOs can't recapture. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I don't really know yet yeah, whether our audience would ever cross over into into this particular show, but um. The new season of Kaguya-sama Love is War <laughs> started back up. <laughs> what is Kaguya-sama Love is War, Cleo? It's, um, it's a kind of throwback to the mid-2010 genre of the typical anime rom-com, except it's kind of heightening it to new levels. So it's these two very, you know, um, intelligent high schoolers who are part of the elite high school club or whatever. And they are deeply, deeply in love with each other, but they're also uh, clouded by ego. So they're both kind of hyper sundere type characters, if you're familiar with the term. And so they can't confess to one another because of their pride. And so it's about them getting into these ridiculous situations to force the other person to confess their love. So they know that they're in love with each other, but they want the other person to confess it first. And so they do all of these little things like, you know, leave pamphlets several days like ahead so that one person will find it and go, oh, it's two free tickets to the movies. And so wait for the other person to maybe suggest that they could go with the other one. Um, and they kind of animate it to look like they're kind of having these big Death Note style mental battles. <laughs> so it's literally, actually, you know what? It's literally like Kira and Elle and Death Note, except the objective is to get the other person okay. to confess their love for them, which is basically that it's virtually Death Note, Ben. Um, it's new Death Note. Is it like the Mad Magazine spy versus spy of Love Hina? What? Mm, except there's no gratuitous, like, sex stuff wait those gratuitous sex stuff in love Hina? it was set in a hot springs my dude there were titties everywhere my young 13 year old self does not remember this <laughs> young 13 year old ben was definitely much more innocent than i just remember the time the clear. turtle turned into a mech <laughs> i just remember the uh definitely problematic Indian stereotype in that. Oh, in that yeah. Show. That was yeah, weird. It was really weird. Yeah. <laughs> Indian, Indian, there are some very strange adaptations of Indian people in anime. That That's definitely a topic we'll, we'll have to I'd love to know more about what On a non-Lupin the Third podcast, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's genuinely really, really funny. Um, I think if you are the type of person who's in their, you know, early to mid-20s now or in their 30s and back then when they were a teenager, you used to watch those rom-coms that now you know oh you still live them out you still live them out in your own high school life (laughs) fantastic um i think it's a really great sort of not subversion of that but almost heightened version of that in a really really clever way i genuinely think it's a really good anime and i think i've done a disservice talking about it i think our mutual friend's gonna get very upset if he (laughs) ever listens to this because he really likes it um but yeah check it out really fantastic anime and um worth a laugh cool All right, laters, y'all. All All right, see ya. Thank you for listening. 
We're Asinine Lupin on all the social medias. Please follow us. We we need followers. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.